Hi, I'm Du Awa Frazier, and you're listening to episode 50 of Nerdocity Podcast. And today my guest is Roberto Carlos Garcia. He is the author of several books, and his most recent title is What Can I Tell You? Selected Poems of Roberto Carlos Garcia, December 2022, Flower Song Press. He is also the author of Traveling Freely, Essays, forthcoming in 2024 by Northwestern University Press. Roberto Carlos Garcia is the founder of Get Fresh Publishing, a literary nonprofit organization. Visit his website at www.robertocarlosgarcia.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, greetings, Roberto. How are you doing? <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Nerdocity Podcast. And uh, just want to congratulate you on your latest book, What Can I Tell You? Selected Poems. Thank you. Thank you so much. Roberto, tell me about um, uh, your inspiration for this collection. And then, you know, then I'd love to go back a little bit and talking about uh, your background as a poet, um, as I look at your uh, biography, um, you are really taking from the Harlem Renaissance, from the Black Arts Movement, from the Spanish poets of 1929, the New Yorican School, and modernists. So you draw from so many errors uh, for your inspiration as a poet and artist. So I'd love to hear about uh, your current, this current book, your inspiration, as well as take us back you know, to how you came to be a poet and, and all of that. Sure, definitely. So my inspiration for this book came out of trying to publish some Pablo Neruda translations. As, as it so happens, I've, I've translated uh, The Heights of Machu Picchu by Pablo Neruda and some other of his poems, and I've been working to get them published, but the rights are not public they're controlled by a different publisher mm -hmm. and so you know my publisher then said to me well i think you have enough poems where you could do a selected poems instead because i'm also i'm i'm publishing an essay collection in 2024 with northwestern university press oh i love that congratulations that's major that's an that's an academic press yeah, yep, they're doing mm -hmm. wonderful work through their curbstone uh, imprint. And so I'm excited about that. So I'm moving in that field towards nonfiction and fiction. And so I thought it'd be a great idea to to uh, collect the poems from my first three poetry collections into into one. And so that was the, the inspiration for for the collection and my publisher at Flower Song Press, Edward Vidaure, who's a wonderful poet in his own right, uh, you know, really came up with the idea and, and supported it and convinced me that, it, you know, it was a good idea at the time. No, sure. And, and so that's where it came from. And so, you know, we got the poems together and uh, reached out to some folks and, and Dr. Silvio Torres Ayan, who is a fantastic a scholar and educator up at Syracuse University. I was kind enough uh, to write a forward and Dr. Maricel Moreno, who's also a scholar and educator at the University of Notre Dame, uh, wrote the introduction. 
and it all it all came together very nicely. So um, I'm happy with it, and and hopefully it introduces uh, my work to a larger audience. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's great when you're in the flow of consistent, um, I would say, support for your work, consistent, you know, getting the yeses. Yes. Um, and the, you know, so I, that would, that has to feel good to you, right? Absolutely. I think as a, as a poet, especially, but as a writer uh, overall, it's wonderful to have uh, that support in putting the work out there because, you know, as Ta-Nehisi Coates has said we we labor in the dark you know and so it's a lonely vocation when you're mm. in the heart of it it's just you and that page and, and and your mind and those ideas and experiences swimming around and so when you when you're done and you you go through that grueling process of, of creating it and there's someone who believes in it and is ready to put it out there and share it with the world that's a wonderful feeling that's that's right. Thank you for that. And, you know, I also see that you uh, were published in Willie Perdomo's. Well, I know there were a few other editors, but I, I interviewed uh, Willie's uh, when this anthology came out, The Breakbeat Poets, Volume 4, Latinx. Um, yeah. And so tell me about how you came to uh, be a part of that wonderful work. That was wonderful. I'm so grateful to uh, Willie Perdomo for selecting my poem and also to Jose Olivares and Felicia Rose Chavez. I think they were the other two editors who put together just a wonderful anthology that demonstrates the different like life experiences of everyone in the community, if that makes sense. Okay. And, and yeah. so... Because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot. And so between uh, South America, Central America, and the Caribbean, you have a lot of different experiences. And so I think it's wonderful to be a part of that. Um, I, you know, I, I would say Latinx experiences, but, you know, the, the, the identity, the Latino identity itself is, is interesting. Um, and we could talk more about that as we go along. I'd but, love to, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful smorgasbord or sancocho, a big stew of us in here. So I'm very thankful. And Willie Perdomo is he's the goat. You know, I call him the goat. He is a, he is not only is he a legend. He's but, like a le he really is that legend. You know, he's and, like poet poet a poet's poet. Oh and, my gosh. He's, he's he's the people's champ too. Yes, you know what I mean? he is. He's like, you know, the young godfather. Not you know what I mean. Like yes, I know he's not you know yes. what I mean. He's like the godfather and the big brother and the uncle and yes, all of and, that. Mm -hmm. And he's as generous as he is talented, and that's so special that um He truly is. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, so we're we're definitely we're shouting out Willie Perdomo right now and showing him some love. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So um, you know, just getting back to your current um collection, and one thing I noticed, Roberto, is that you have quite um uh quite a, a nice uh grouping here of bilingual poems and uh so much um uh reference made to um just culture music, community, um, so much rich imagery in your words, as well as the um, uh, rich focus on place and setting. Um, and so I just want to ask you, um, you know, about 
your inspiration for the collection. And it has a beautiful, colorful title. Um, I mean, um, cover, by the way, um, you know, with the flowers. And so I'd love to know who did your illustration as well. So I painted the cover uh, myself. This is a painting that I, I made with oil on a canvas. And I like to paint. That's one of my, my hobbies. And so I was looking and thinking about cover images and playing around a bit. And I kept coming back to this painting. Mm-hmm. Something about it. And in particular, the fact that it, it fills the entire cover. It's not, you know, a kind of half or top sure. quarter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just like the way it, it, it fit. And I liked the... Uh, the banners, you know, with the titles and the, the name and the quote at the bottom. It just spoke to me every every time I, I was presenting my, you know, my private brain trust that I have <laughs> that I go mm-hmm. to, um, you know, for confirmation of things and just to talk about things. You know, everyone said that those poppies are it, you know, that's your cover. It just it just clicks, it pops, it it draws the eye, and they're just beautiful colors. And so I decided to trust it, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and just go with it. And you know, poppies have uh, a lot of different meaning. There's a lot of elegies uh, in this collection. In my poetry writing, in, in particular, there are a lot of elegies, a lot of remembering uh, the ancestors, and a lot of remembering uh, and and you know, praising and eulogizing, et cetera, people who we've lost. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, poppies also represent uh, the commemoration of those who have passed, right? So, mm-hmm. so I, I thought it was fitting, but it's also a sign of a kind of change of seasons. And so um, I like the multiple meanings there. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that about poppies at all. Thank you so much for giving that background, too. Oh, yeah. And then obviously there's, you know, they can be a narcotic as well. So there's a danger. Right. <laughs> and so I think that um, all of those meanings uh, put together are kind of like, you know, almost like the crux of life, right? The mm-hmm. crux of life and death, you know, beauty, remembrance, uh, danger, obviously, Um so yeah, so that's where that came from. Sure, and, and mm-hmm, go ahead. And so the, you know, the inspiration for writing poetry, you, you know, when you're first starting out, you're trying to figure out, you know, what am I trying to say, right? Like, what is it that I want to say? And mm-hmm. before you can figure that out, you have to know who you are, mm. and you really got to explore yourself. And one thing uh, that reading James Baldwin in particular taught me is that, you know, the first avenue of inquiry, the first interrogation is an interior one. And the poetry I've always been then drawn to is poetry that examines the interior life first and then the exterior life. Mm. So that 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 interior understanding and experience can come out. of you and then that's you know that's how you get a unique voice i think and so you know the harlem renaissance poets um you know langston hughes especially 
that kind of plain spoken vernacular. You know, mm-hmm. the only the only dressing was rhythm and music. You know, the rhythm and music of the way people actually talk. And I really wanted to to capture that in my own writing. Likewise, William Carlos Williams, with that very kind of direct, plain spoken uh, tone, but images, but also images. And so, you know, these different movements, these different eras, um, the overt kind of political honesty, social activist honesty of the Black arts movement, the, in particular, the, um, the countercultural work, right? Mm-hmm. The letting go of the Eurocentric kind of ideology, the Eurocentric uh, mimicry in in the work in the poetry. I really love that, you know. And and but then you there's I'm also you know you gotta have a little bit of flourish, you right? Have a little bit of flair, you know. Um, and so that's where those Spanish poets came in. You know, they definitely had a flair musically. And I think mm-hmm. that there are certain languages, you know, uh, the colonial the colonialism aside, there are certain languages that lend themselves to a kind of musicality and flourish. And, you know, trying to capture that with English is always a wonderful exercise. You know, it's always a wonderful, wonderful exercise. So that's how those... You know, those movements, those literary movements and, and the poets within them and the writers within them have kind of, you know, influenced me. Sure. So in terms of the, you know, the Black arts movement, because I must tell you, that's been a great, um, that era and the artists, the wonderful artists, poets, uh, musicians who, who came out of that era um, have really influenced me as well. Can you talk about um, a few of the folks from the Black Arts Movement who you really kind of um, have been shaped by in one way or another, or whose work you really still, you know, think about um, as you're creating? Sure. Uh, Amiri Baraka, uh, for sure, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Definitely uh, Carolyn Rogers. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, her work. And even though, you know, I know there's some controversy as to the Black Arts Movement at the time didn't completely embrace him uh, as a Black Arts Movement poet, but because he was writing uh, in during that era, you know, during that era and before that era, you know, Robert Hayden's work. Oh, Robert Hayden, I, for sure. I love his work. He has a know? poem I always use, a few poems, one of them being Fred, his Frederick Douglass poem. I, I've used yeah, that um, yeah. when working with students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the Middle Passage uh, poem, and it informs so much of the historical aspects of my work, that mm-hmm. blending of history, with an, whether it's with an imagined personal experience or a real personal experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's there, Lamont B. Steptoe. Oh, yeah, Lamont <laughs> Steptoe. One. That's a poet that, um, you know, I feel more people should know. And, you know, I'm also a, I'm also a publisher. And, and you know, one of my, my goals has been to try and get, uh, you know, a collected poems of Lamont B. Steptoe's work. Now, he's a Philly poet, right? Yeah, I believe oh, yeah. so. I've, and yeah. that's where I met him years ago. I've seen yeah. him uh, read uh, a few times. Mm-hmm. And and trying to get, I know we have a kind of a selected Robert Hayden 
but there's so much more work. I would love to publish like a complete Robert. Mm. You know? Mm. Yeah. I, I feel like there's there's a lot that you know that we need, but there's so many, and you know, I I say the the names that just come out of my mouth, you know, right now, but there's so many, mm-hmm. so many others. Um, For sure. That, you know, that could come to mind, yeah. And so, you know, in terms of, um, I know also in your bio, it mentions the New Eureka School. And of course, you know, um, we were saddened and said goodbye to Miguel Algarin uh, some years Mm -hmm. ago, um, who was such a beacon in the community, um, specifically uh, in being one of the founders of the New Eureka Poets Cafe. So I wondered um, about your thoughts of Miguel and, and just a lot of those great poets that came out of that uh, founding of, yeah. of this, you know, this institution, the New Yorican. Yeah, you know, Miguel Algarín and Miguel Piñero and Pedro Pietri and those cats. Um, the infusion of the street life and street language and the realities mm. of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting... Like, so I, I went to that movement kind of like by backtracking. Mm-hmm. So I always tell this story that, you know, okay, I had a rap group, you know, I had a little hip hop group. With my <laughs> boys. Wait, wait, wait. Roberto, yeah. you, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Rewind. Did you say you had a rap group? Yes. We oh, had little... you know, you got to tell, you got to tell us about that now. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a little, um. You know, we had a little hip hop group because it was just, you know, hip hop was taking everything by storm. You mm-hmm. know? And, you know, we were just we were caught up in the movement of it and the expression of it. You know, we had gone from from almost kind of like a, a hip house. I don't know if you remember that genre. Oh, hip house. Uh huh. Hip yep. house. You know, but it was house music with with rap lyrics. With and rap. Stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have gone kind of from a hip house movement. And we, you know, we went full hip hop and, you know, we did a few shows. We, we auditioned for Chuck Chill Out. Oh um, yeah, Chuck Chill Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just, you know, it didn't work out. But um, when, you know, when I, you know, grew up and decided to get a real job and stuff, you know, <laughs> one of my, my very good friends, he's, he's my oldest daughter's godfather, actually. Uh-huh. He, uh, you know, he was always challenge me and say, hey, are you still writing? Like, what are you doing? You know, you, you got talent, this and that. Mm. And he brought me a cassette tape of Where a Nickel Costs a Dime. And it's, yep, Willie's I, book. Willie's debut. Actually, joint. yeah, that's his first book, right? And, you know, he said to me, you need to listen to this. Listen wow. to this cat. And when I listened to, you know, Willie, I was like, oh my gosh, there's another way I could do this. That like, you can do this and express yourself and get your words out. Yeah, yeah I said it's not necessarily just kind of hip hop, you know? Right. But I saw, you know, I wore that tape out, snapped it, <laughs> and I had to end up, I said, you know, I was looking, you know, I was digging in the crates trying to find a copy of the book that still had the CD in it because then we went from cassettes to CDs. Right, right. And, you know, I finally got my hands on it. And then I, when the iPod came out, I transferred it from then the Then you transferred to the it iPod. to your iPod. <laughs> but, but, you know, in between, as I'm looking up, okay, you know, let me find out more about this cat. Let me find out more about Willie Perdomo. Let me find out more about this scene, you know. And he's uh, a Harlem poet, actually, as far as I know. Am I right? 
Yeah, because that's yeah, how I, I first saw, right? Like Willie, yeah. I know him as a Harlem poet for sure. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so it was just like, boom, I said, oh, look at this dude, look at that dude, what's this, who's that, you know? And then it just introduced me to a whole range of poets and 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 the conception of the New Yorican and why it came into being and then Miguel Pinheiro and his story. And it was like, it opened up a whole world for me of, mm. you know, of, hey, my voice doesn't have to change. It doesn't have to be a Europeanized, Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't need. Exactly. I, I have, here's a world right here that knows my world. This is part of my, even though I'm not necessarily a Puerto Rican, right? Yeah. My parents are from Dominican Republic, but we're all here in New York. We're here yep. in Harlem, Lower East Side, the Heights, Bronx, Brooklyn, whatever. We're mm -hmm. all here. And this is our experience together. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was just, that was like, that was such a moment for me, you know, it was such a wonderful moment. And it reconnected me to the music of my youth, you know, the salsa of, Hector Lavoe, Willie Colon, and and El Gran Combo, and and just this very this music that had Africa in it, this music that claimed blackness, and that is something that as we left this you know late '60s and '70s, and as we got to like late '80s, that the Africa was taken out of salsa basically, and it mm. became this very treble heavy music heavy. Mm -hmm. that didn't have necessarily the bass or the drums anymore. Right. You know, as, as uh, somebody. Wow. Now, now, when could... did you say that? Happened? I appreciate you tell, because then hold, then let me, let me ask you so that when we listen to the queen, when we listen to. Um, Delia Cruz. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The African drums are behind, like you hear her and the same with Hector yep. Laveau. So yep. then what happened after them? So, you you know, you got a lot of like, and not obviously not 100% because there were still groups putting it in there, like uh, this Colombian salsa group called Grupo Nietzsche. They mm -hmm. were like, you know, they were uh, Black Colombians. And so they, you know, they had that. They they came up with this beautiful song called, uh, uh, oh man, this is not the name of the refrain. It's called, um, it'll come to me, but basically the song is a retelling of a slave revolt because the slave master decided to beat the woman that, uh, one of his female slaves who was going to get married to one of his male slaves. And mm. so in order to prevent that beating, they revolted. They revolted. Right, right. Mm. so that's the story of the song. It's a very famous song. I, I just know the refrain is no le pega la negra, like don't hit my black woman basically, right? Mm. And so what what happens is, you know, I don't know what we want to call it, but the, the Africa is out of it. Like the drums aren't there to the extent that they were. The bass uh, wasn't there to the extent that it was. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of the the uh, Afro-religious language, the Yoruba and Odisha kind of, you know, worship and mentioning, all of that stuff starts to leave the music and it becomes more poppy. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Sure. And so, you know, what were the drivers behind that? I, you know, I wish I could tell you for sure. But mm. as activism and, and, you know, the fight for civil rights begins to change or, you know, 
fade out, if you want to call it that, because so many people are either arrested or dead or whatever. Right. Um, the music, change in the music starts to reflect that, I think. And would you say that that was, as you mentioned, activism, so that was more of for safety? Like what was, know. you know, like... I don't know, you know. Um, I think at a certain point, maybe some people say somebody else got to pick up this fight. I don't know. Wow. I wish I... I wish I knew more about that. And and I know it's a more, it's such a deep conversation. Like I think about Celia Cruz and I'm like, I feel like she's one of the few people who brought that sound to America. Yeah. We would not, you know, have, have experienced that sound, whether in Florida up to New York and (laughs) and other parts, you know. And and a bunch of people with that too, you know, Johnny Pacheco, Tito Puente, Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, Tito Puente, right. Mm -hmm. All of those folks, you know, uh, Chico, Chico Farrell. There's so many, like, and so what, you know, what getting into that and seeing that New Yorican scene, like, it's like, I'm connect, you know, I'm connecting obviously dots from my own childhood. Mm-hmm. And seeing the music and the experiences reflected in those, in those poems. And, you know, it just, it opened a whole new world up for me. And then, it, obviously, it exposed me to all those other folks in the in the slam scene. You know, uh, Patricia Smith, um, you know, Saul Williams. Um, mm-hmm. So many, and I'm terrible with names. So whoever's listening and, and you know post-covid my memory is not what it used to be but no i know what you mean and you're talking and, you know sarah sarah jones and right oh and, but this... um moms and and yeah daniel Beatty and yes and steve coleman the, and the taylor molly and right, maya right. uh uh gosh maya um what is maya's last name oh maya come on you know maya you Maya's, Oh boy. I, I can't. It's not coming. See, to I'm gonna me have right to now, get on yes. Google right now, but I can I see know, her face right? plain as day. Maya, <laughs> don't do that because she's a slam poet, and she was bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll come. It'll come to me. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you know that experience really, you know, and then when I when I by the time I got to my MFA program. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I had the privilege to, to, you know, to work with so many wonderful poets. Maida Del Valle. Maida Del Valle. Not Maya. Ma- Maida Del Valle. Ba- Maida. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> See? Hey, we didn't forget you, Maida. Yes. So, you know, that just kind of shapes the work. It starts to shape the work, those experiences. Uh, you know, I came in all corny and stuff, you know. <laughs> but they had patience with me, you know. And we're like, right. this and that. And so... You know, between poets like, um, you know, Aracelis Gilmay, you know, Ross Gay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Michael Waters, Alicia mm-hmm. Oldstriker, and, you know, and then by extension, Pat Rosal, whose work, you know, I remember buying the CD and it was called, you know, the Slam Poetry Book. Mm. And it came with this big old, it, you know, it was supposed to be with this big book. But somebody right. like pirated the CD or whatever. And, and I hear, you know, Pat Rosal, he had this poem in there about this dude named Freddie and learning mm-hmm. how to break dance and saying that was the year we learned you had to be good at something to claim respect or something like that. Mm. And he was talking about Freddie and how Freddie could do suicide head spins. And, and mm. I was like, what? Oh, my God, I remember this. So when I, you know, when I got to see Pat and 
and just hear him read and hear him talk about poetry. So, you know, all of these things just began to shape the work. You know, all of these experiences mm. began to shape the work. And, and yeah, so I feel very blessed, you know, because I came to my attempt to become a real writer came later on in life for me. Okay. You know, after like a professional career, et cetera. Like, what can you say what your career was? What, what sure, industry was you were in, in? I was in sales and management. Sales oh, and wow. management. Retail so you're franchise. You're a good talker. You know how to sell and, and yeah. what is it? Persuade. You're persuasive. Persuade. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting career because, and it's funny, you know, my wife, when I, when I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to do this. And I guess I'm just going to get this business stuff, you know? And I just remember her saying, you know, you're such a nerd. Like, look at all these, look <laughs> look at all at these, all these books. books. <laughs> right. And so why don't you do something that you love, you know? And yeah. Like, you know what, babe, you're right. I said, so I said, I'm, I'm doing English. And I went for English. And then, you know, one professor was like, listen, man, I, I can't define it, but you have it. You need Aww. to keep going. It was one of the kindest things, you know, because I was about to go to law school. I'm not even playing. Wow. Like, how can I make money? Like, <laughs> Right. You were thinking about the money first as opposed to the love. What is it that you love? Right. Because, yeah. you know, we, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to make it. I was mm -hmm. like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing better than a lot of the people I knew. You know, a few mm -hmm. of us are still alive and I'm not in jail. Right. And so we're like, what are we going to do? You know, we got to make yeah. this money, man. We got to get out of here. So, mm -hmm. but uh, she said, listen, we have, there's a lot of lawyers. She said, try this writing thing. She said, I <laughs> really, it was, it was, she, you know, and she was speaking from, from the heart. She said, try this. Sounds writing. like it. For a wife to say that, like, don't worry well, about the money, babe. Just do yeah. <laughs> That's like, whoa. Well, my creative writing professor was like, don't go to law school, go do an MFA okay. in undergrad, you know? My okay. wife was like, you know, my wife was a little more practical. We came up the same way. She was like, I'll support you, but what can, what can you do with that? But what can you do? Right, right. right. And so I was like, I don't know, babe. I got to try to figure it out. And she was like, all right, you know, let's see what happens. At the end of the day, you're still going to have a master's degree. So it is what it is, right? Right, right. Um, and so we, as you know, the plan developed as we went along that I would, you know, I would try my hand at teaching and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, it was just, my MFA was a wonderful experience. You know, I was there with, uh, you know, poets uh, like Yesenia Montilla, who's a phenomenal, oh, uh -huh. oh, yeah. phenomenal poet and just a wonderful, uh, you know, human being. Uh, Lorianne Guerrero, who was the, you know, poet laureate of Texas. Mm -hmm. And, um, my gosh, you know, Rebecca Gill Howell, Monica Hand, may she rest in power. Oh, Monica, yes, yeah, Monica. Yeah, Do you know I interviewed Monica two, three times That's years oh. ago? Like Monica and I, I got a chance to read with her. Such a blessing to she, read with her. Truly, yeah, but, mm -hmm. truly, beautiful, truly. beautiful poet. Yep. This is, listen, this is, it was just, there's just beautiful people in that program, you know, just wonderful, wonderful people. And we, you know, we had a great experience. We were encouraged. Amory Makari was the founder of that program. She was a wonderful poet and teacher. Mm. And, um, you know, we were encouraged to find our own voice. We were encouraged not to sound like anybody. Mm -hmm. 
And um, so I had, a, you know, I had a, my, my budding process was, was spectacular. That's yeah. wonderful. And, I, <laughs> and you know what, Roberto, I can hear it in your voice, um, the community that you've been enriched by. Yeah. Um, that that yeah. you have, you know what I mean? The embrace, yeah. like, uh, it's so wonderful to hear when someone speaks that because you can literally feel the good experience that they, that they had and that they witnessed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, uh, important. It truly is because I hear a lot of horror stories too, you know? So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm grateful that I didn't, I didn't necessarily have <laughs> that to you go didn't have that. to go through the horror class. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, and so Roberto, will you please uh, love to hear uh, from, oh, I know what, I do have one more question. Okay, you okay. are the founder of Cooperative, the Cooperative Press, Get Fresh Books Publishing. Can yes. you tell us about Get Fresh Books? What are you, you know, inspiration for it, what you're doing, what you hope to do? And, you know, we just want to hear about that. Um, Definitely. And, yeah, yeah. So um, the idea for Get Fresh Books was born out of, you know, those all night sessions, just kind of <laughs> drinking wine, talking about poetry, et cetera, in graduate school. And just kind of looking at the publishing landscape and, and wondering, all right, you know, where do we fit in and where do people from our communities fit in in this landscape, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what does it look like? How do we feel about it, et cetera? And so um, I definitely, you know, I, I was like, it was just like a seed, you know? And so I had been, you know, submitting my manuscript around, submitting it around, and it just, it really seemed like a kind of insurmountable process. Of, mm, yeah. I was spending a lot of money and, you know, and again, I just, I always want to make clear that I'm not trying to throw shade at any, any publishers or et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just talking about my experience. Yeah. And my experience was that it was costing money and I was not getting feedback. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, all right, what would I like to, what would I like to see in a publisher? And, you know, so I had some conversations with some friends and some folks. And I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt this. I said, you know, I have a way that I think I can go about this where, you know, I want to, so full disclosure, right? I, I really detest capitalism. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Let me just say that <laughs> right up front. And so I said, I don't, I want to, I want to be a publisher, create a publishing company, but I don't want it to necessarily operate in a like in this full capitalist mode. I mean, it's in a, a capitalist society, so you know I get it. So but I wanted to be right, right. I know right. What you mean. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, you got to sell books. I understand, but I I don't want to create a machine that relies so heavily on that aspect of it that um you know, that I won't be able to kind of survive, that I'll have to charge people to submit and mm -hmm. yada, yada, you know? Yeah. So I want it to be like a kind of ecosystem where, hey, if we publish your work, what can you bring to the table to help us, you know, 
time-wise, gift, you know, the gift of your talents-wise, your energy, your kind of commitment to this vision-wise to uh, to help us, you know, keep going and publish the next book. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Can you proofread? Bet. Can you design covers? Bet. Can you, mm. you know what I mean? Can you edit? Can you help a poet revise? Can you provide feedback? Like, what do you got? What do you want to bring to right. the team? And that's where the cooperative comes yes. from. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. That's where the cooperative comes from. And so um, it's small, you know, it, it's on a smaller scale because obviously that takes, that's the human factor, right? It takes time and connection and you can't mass produce that, you know? Right, right. And so, um, you know, we've been at it since 2016 and... Uh, you know, I like where we're at. We're working hard to try to get some grants and stuff. That's something that still has eluded us. We, um, at least larger grants, you know, we have some small foundations that give us, uh, some, you know, some some small grant money here and there, but you mm-hmm. know, we're trying to get that NEA dough, you know? Oh, that NEA <laughs> is a monster. Yes. I, right. I, you know, I take my hat off to you. You get that NEA, boy. That's yes. right. That's right. Um, so, you know, we're working on that. But in the meantime, we've published a lot of wonderful books. You know, our poets have have appeared in all the major, uh, you know, poetry magazines. They've been to the festivals. Um, you know, they're out there engaging with people, doing readings and, and connecting with folks. And we're just we're giving people opportunities to get out there with their work, you know. And that's mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's what's most important to me is to create opportunities for folks who may, you know, may or may not have those opportunities, because, you know, one one of the things that, um, and 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 what's uh, her name? I think is it Jen Baker. She uh, she's like an editor, uh, and she, she does wonderful work. She has done this study mm-hmm. on you know equity in publishing mm-hmm. and stuff, and mm-hmm. you know discovered all the disparities. And, you know, as it turns out, it's still a lot of heterosexual white males getting published over anyone. Sure. But then beyond that, the folks whom we've labeled gatekeepers, okay, the editors, you know, the acquisitions editors and the the people who have the final say, et cetera, a majority of those folks are also white, uh, you know, cis hetero Mm -hmm. white folks. And so the whole process is kind of dominated, (laughs) you know what I mean? Sure. and so there's a lot of ageism, obviously. So we're trying to, you know, combat all that stuff. And break know. that down and give people opportunity who who may not otherwise right. have their work published or published widely. Right. You know. And and listen, there's only so you know, there's only so many publishers out there right now, obviously, et cetera. So we want to be one more, one more option. Where hey you know submit your work here it's not gonna cost you anything money wise mm-hmm. you may have to wait a little while because you know it's a small team but at least you know you know you didn't have to pay anything and if it works out great and if it doesn't you know all right come back around and try later you know work keep working on the book and come back around mm-hmm. at least you know you're not gonna have to make a choice between you know what do I need to do with this thirty bucks you know what I mean right. Like, and so I want to spend this now, or you know, with the <laughs> you don't right. Have to like it's that. a roll of the dice. How much money do you think you'll have to spend in order to get published? Right. <laughs> so, so you don't got to worry about that with us. 
you know. Yeah. Just send it, send, you know, send your manuscript on and we'll take care of it, you know. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that. Is there a way that folks can, um, you know, get in touch with Get Fresh Publishing? Is that through your website yeah. or another channel? Yeah. Um, you know, our website is gfbpublishing.org. And we're on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Give us a follow. Um, you know, we accept donations year-round. They're tax-deductible because we're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I often say no amount is too small, you know. Or buy a book. Jump on, buy a book, get a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. We got some merch, you know. It's not, <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I saw some of the cool merch on uh, Instagram yeah. a while back. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, this is definitely, um, you know, a publisher to support. Yeah, because, you know, we're just trying to, and and sadly, you know, we're losing some folks, you know, we're losing some presses that have traditionally, um, you know, supported members of the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. you know, members of the Black community, Latinx, you know, mm-hmm. Asian, et cetera. So um, we just lost the press uh, a couple of months, like what, in February. Ah, what's the name of that press? They published Raina Leon's uh, book. It's uh, really oh, Nomad. Wow. Nomad. Oh, Nomad. Okay. Right. And They're on San Francisco, I believe. So wait a minute. Did they publish Raina's last book or yeah, the first? Uh, okay. Yes. Because uh, I just. Black, oh wow. Yeah, Black mother, yep. this body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm, I just interviewed her a while ago. She's a wonderful poet. Oh man. Yeah. It's a we beautiful were... book. Heck yeah, I got to listen to her read from it when we went we went to Notre Dame together to do this oh, uh, okay, nice. Afro Latinx festival thing. And um, uh-huh. and you know, shout out to Francisco Aragon for putting that together. And yeah, you know, and it's a wonderful press doing doing wonderful work. And mm. sadly, uh, you know, money. You know, they shut down, and that's crazy because they've published so many wonderful poets gave so many wonderful poets their start in publishing. Poets that in publishing. To do big things, you know, and, and inspire other people and give back. And so it's just, you know, we have to, we have to support these small, you know, no disrespect to, you know, any of these, you know, big, you know, these presses, these bigger presses, but they're not necessarily small presses you know we're small presses mm-hmm. you know what I mean right <laughs> right I know what you mean yeah and so you know you gotta in essence we're we're part of this firmament that keeps talent coming out that then larger presses can say hey let's give this poet more visibility and that's you know as it should be you get your yeah. start and you climb that ladder and so, you know, we so also... It's almost like creating... It's almost like an incubator. Right. Would you say, you know? Yeah. And, you know, definitely. Yeah. Just giving you all that nurturing and that support, um, giving you that foundation. And then you're like, you know, the mama bird, the papa bird is yeah. telling your baby bird, okay, go out there and fly. See? <laughs> yeah. And let me, let me just correct myself. I see that it's Black Freighter Press. Oh, b- Black Freighter Press. Press. that okay. did black godmother this body by Raina. Oh. but i know she was hosting a reading series for nomad nomadic press nomadic uh, press okay yeah out in san francisco so that's that was her connection to it but in, gotcha. in any event you know we need to be supported and i think that's important you know? yeah and hopefully the you know i noticed a lot of the small presses are on twitter 
uh, these days. You can mm-hmm. find them on Twitter. They're, you know, mm-hmm. poets and writers will list them and, you know, they're on yeah. Instagram. And I think that's the yeah, way to go. Indeed. You got to you got to be among the people and the people are yes. on social media yes, for sure. They are, for better or worse. <laughs> for, for better exactly. or worse. You got it right. So yeah. I, I'm and hoping with this interview more, you know, we're going to promote it and we can shout out small presses. Please, you know, get your, yeah. your books out here on Twitter and Instagram. That's really the way to go now. Yeah. Even and, TikTok, and, Roberto. Oh my gosh, let me tell you. Um <laughs> I, I have no idea how TikTok works. I you like are kidding me. You better get on there with your I, books because it's a whole thing <laughs> called book talk now. If you know I about book do. talk, hashtag. Yes. <laughs> okay, let me you know I'm gonna write that down. But yes. You know, I also want to shout out CLMP. Um, oh, okay. That's the uh, small press um yeah, consortium or okay community of literary magazines and presses right mm, okay. and they're you know they're doing wonderful work supporting small presses you know i have felt very kind of supported and seen with the work that mm-hmm. they're doing behind the scenes to uh to help us out so i definitely want to give them a shout out as well oh that's wonderful and i appreciate that C- cm is it cm or clmp CLMP. clmp and i think they've been around a long time i know i've been seeing yep. them and and they're stamp on things and their branding for some years um yeah Yeah. so that's great definitely and so roberto we come to that time where we are so ready for your reading we are just brimming (laughs) with delight and excitement and of course anticipation (laughs) awesome awesome um i think i'll what i'll do is uh i'll read a a longer poem that's all right and if you don't mind telling me the page numbers so I can, you know, because I have your beautiful book and I would love to follow along with you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm going to read a poem called Casta, and that's on page 61. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being a Black Latino and, you know, I was I mentioned that this Latino identity is is problematic in a lot of ways because it's tied to this, this myth of uh, mestizaje, right? This myth of mixedness. Mm, and and mm-hmm. that somehow this mixedness then solves the problems of racism and colonialism. Mm-hmm. But if we look at, you know, the hierarchy in Latin American countries, um, you know, Black Latinos and Indigenous Latinos are at the bottom of that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And due to to customary racism and discrimination, that you know they're always on the on the short end of the stick. And when I say customary, I mean it's it's a custom to just exclude these folks. So that's what people continuously do. Um, you know, uh, Tanya Kateri Hernandez has written a lot of wonderful books about this subject, and I cannot recommend them enough. I recommend her and her work uh, enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, So this poem is called Casta. Conquistador, Espanol, Peninsular, Europeo. Colonized, Americano, Indio, Amerindian. Stolen, Slave, Negro, Africano. Espanol, Colony, Criollo, Colonial. Indio, Espanol, Mestizo, Rape. Espanol, mestizo, castizo, pass. Hmm. Espanol, mafa, colony, slavery, africano, 
español, mulato, rapes. Español, mulato, morisco, pass. And it goes on. Español y morisco, chino. Chino y indio, salta atrás. Salta atrás y mulato, lobo. Lobo y chino, jíbaro. Jíbaro y mulato, albarazado. Albarazado y negro, cambujo. Cambujo y indio, zambaigo. Zambaigo y lobo, calpa mulato. Calpa mulato y cambujo, tente en el aire. Tente en el aire y mulato, no te entiendo, no te entiendo. Y indio, torna atrás. And it goes on. Tercerón, one third, negro. Quadroon, one quarter, negro. Quinteroon, one fifth, negro. Hexadecaroon, one sixth, negro. Octoroon, musty, one eighth, negro. Mustafino, one sixteenth, negro. Grife, Cafuso, three quarters, Negro, and it goes on. Trigueño, Trigueñito, Cimarron, Rojizo, Moreno, Morenito, Quemao, Indiecito, Prieto, Indio, Clarito, Creole, Claro, Oscurito, Blanco, Oscuro, Quemarito, Negro, Fair, Light skin, high yellow, red bone, olive, mid-tone, brown, dark brown, black, and it goes on. White, not Hispanic Latino, black, not Hispanic Latino, Native American, white, Hispanic Latino, black, Hispanic Latino, Asian, not Hispanic Latino, Asian, Hispanic Latino, two or more races, not Hispanic Latino. Wow. And Are so, you kidding me right now? <laughs> Hold on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, this is like a map. Right. Well, this is like history. This is like this is like the middle passage. This is like showing you what happened, like how we became who we are. Yeah, and and the kind of taxonomy that's continually used on us. Mm. You know, and so it is uh, how like, the language is used against us, right? To kind of continuously label us and control the reality around us, and mm. and you know, there's nothing more powerful than naming yourself and then holding people accountable to what you name yourself, right? Yes. But I think you know, so much of uh, our experience with you know. There's a lot of words for it, whether you want to call it the Afro diaspora or transatlantic blackness or, you know, there's subtle differences or differences between these terms. But, you know, the experience of black people in this, quote unquote, new world, you know, is one of being kind of tightly controlled from the jump. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this kind of naming convention and there's a painting, obviously, that depicts what all of these names are basically like the children of these mixed marriages, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And so some of these names, these are, some of these names are like literally just the names of animals applied mm -hmm. to humans, like mulato, right? Is a mule. Mm -hmm. But we consider it this light-skinned person that you can tell has black and white, right? Or European, mm -hmm. African. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, the word is, it's mule, if you, you know? 
mulo, like a mule. Right, yeah. just to really think about the meaning of the word. It's, yeah. it's disgusting, you know? It's degrading, yeah. Right, and so like a very popular word, hivaro, like which is just this popular, you know, slang term. Very is that, popular. Wait, hivaro, my black brother. Right, that? yeah. <laughs> is that the last poet's? Wait. That's right, Felipe Lopez. Wait, Felipe Luciano. Felipe Luciano, <laughs> excuse me. Felipe Lopez is a basketball player, my bad. Right, yeah, right, Felipe, right. Felipe Luciano, <laughs> right. That's And that's what? That's the dude right there. That's oh, the yeah. dude. Are you kidding me? Just historic. Just Right. So, yes. um, but look at that term, hibaro is here, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, you, again, you could argue, some people argue back and forth, but I think uh, a hibaro is like a mountain goat, you know? Mm. And so depending on where you go, these terms can be popular, you know? Right. So calpa mulato is popular in Brazil. You know, but then you have these other terms, tentenelaide, is like you're suspended in the air or you're kind of like suspended in time. What does Moreno mean? You and I were talking about the famous actress Rita Moreno earlier. What does that mean? So in my experience in the U.S., when Latinos say the word Moreno, they're talking about African-American people. Really? Yes. So they'll say, um, you know, like that neighborhood is de Morenos, like that's a black neighborhood. Oh, that's a right? black neighborhood. But interesting, right. they wouldn't say negro, which means black in Spanish. Is that right? Right. But some people also say that. But okay. Moreno is like a way to say it without saying negro. Oh, without because, saying it. Got you. Without being so explicit. Right. Because that's not code. It, like how that's we say like code. Oh, that's code. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know. But there's these, you know, at least in my experience, you know, with DR, people can be anything but Negro or Prieto, right? You could come up, and this is where on the second page of the poem, Mm -hmm. just before we get to fair, light skin, high yellow, and red bone, there's this kind of long list, Trigueño, Trigueñito. Trigueño is wheat. That's the, Trigo is wheat. And so Trigueño Mm -hmm. is the color of wheat, right? Oh, the color of wheat. Right. Cimarron, is that like cinnamon? Um, cimarron C- is, is like a kind of brown, like a reddish okay. brown. Reddish brown. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And so, um, but they're also the maroons, right? Cimarron is also a word for maroon. Mm. The, the, the slaves that went off to live in the mountains, right? Sure, that they left. Ah. They were like, later for y'all. We, we out. Right, we out. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. If we, right? if we out was a person, I mean, exactly, was a group of people. <laughs> exactly. So, but in this list, you know, so you have cimarron is like a reddish brown, and rojizo is like, you know, that's what you're getting now from like dark brown. You're like reddish to then like dark dark brown, right? Or kind of dark brown, which is more yeah. than right, a little dark brown. And then you have quemado means burnt. Mm, you know? Okay. Kemal, that means he's like burnt, you know? Black, less licorice. Right. Licorice. right. Yeah. And then Indiacito is almost like uh, this in-between uh, indigenous color, you know, slash black color. And then Prieto mm-hmm. is, is like black, black, right? Mm. Prieto, black, black. But you see, the point is to demonstrate all of this code. Like, you know what I mean? Like, these are all terms that are very much used uh 
in particular that I, in my experience in Dominican culture, I, I, I remember all of these terms from mm-hmm. my experience. But then people, when they read the book and they look at these poems, they recognize these terms also. You know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with folks at readings. And so in the same way then we have fair, light skin, high yellow, red bone, olive, mid-tone, we have all of these up here in this list and more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing this because these are the kind of things you heard growing up. And sometimes people would say, oh, she's yellow, she's red bone, that's high yellow, that's this or that. Yes. You know. And Mm -hmm. so growing up, you know, one, Harlem, but two, moving to Jersey, and there not really being a Dominican community here. Wow. um, When I got here, like now, okay, there's Dominicans everywhere, but there really wasn't like this Dominican community. Like, you know, now... So, you know, our friends were predominantly Black and Puerto Rican folks, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, it was interesting just having conversations, like being kind of questioned. So what, you know, what are you, Puerto Rican? Like what? You know, like, nope, <laughs> I'm not Puerto Rican. Like, but, you nope, know, not you Puerto look, Rican. <laughs> right. But they're like. Because that's their only reference. That, right. That was, yeah. Right. Here on the East Coast, Puerto Rico. But if you go South, Mexican. So, and then out West, obviously, Mexican. So it's like. They're like, yeah, but you look black. And you go south, Cuban and... Sure, you go to Florida, right. And so it's like, you know, the question was always, yeah, but you, you know, you look black, right? And then you condition sometimes and some people would say, no, I'm not black, you know, I'm brown or I'm trigueño or I'm indiecito. So it was very eye-opening to me and having conversations with my black friends Mm -hmm. to break down what these phrases meant in Spanish and then they were like, you're talking about a red bone. Because that's, right. Right. that's, right. that's and, their translation. Right. right. For, and so, yeah. you know, I was very fortunate to be able to translate these things. And, you know, later on, as I began to, like, think about these things, I'm like, man, they got us, you know, Down These Mean Streets by Pirito Mas. Is oh, a yeah. fictional text for me because mm-hmm. it, it really it crystallized the setup for me that I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like this is the setup. This is really, this really happened. We've really been divided and paired off and all types of just you splitting us off. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. From the tip down of South America, all the way to the tippy top of Canada, like, Mm -hmm. and the Caribbean chain as well. So yeah, so I was like, I was thinking when it all kind of clicked together to me. That's when I started like messing around with this poem and trying to, you know, put mm, it. To- it's beautiful. Well, it's, thank you. Thank put you. that on the page because it looks like a grid, a key. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, mm-hmm. this is language, um, but it's giving you like you're thinking about history. I mean, when I see. I used to listen to my family discuss some of these things in the past, like quadroon, octoroon, and all those mm-hmm. things. Or you hear the terms Creole and what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, from back in the day, like obviously our generation doesn't speak like this, but I mean, back in the day, people did use those that terminology to describe yep. someone. Yep, and like you it know. was no, like it was just kind of very matter of fact. Truly. And and so the other thing for for me is to just try to uh, to have something like so folks can look and and 
it, you know, this is hard research because like you got to dig in the crates because they don't want us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I teach uh, at a at a community college, and mm-hmm. the you know the library the librarian there she's retired since, but she's a friend of mine, Josane. She would always say, "You want to hide something? Put it in a book, right?" <laughs> Then you know what, and they've been saying that, but the thing is, they never banked on us digging through or or digging through. And yes, hey, the library has always been free, right? So, right, they're coming for that too. They're coming for the library. Oh, I've noticed that, right? Taking the funding, I've heard about that in New Uh York City. It's very sad, like, really, y'all are gonna take money from Queens Library, Brooklyn Public Library? Like, are you kidding? I'm telling you, so. You know, I want to try to like provide that roadmap so that at least they can walk it backwards, kind of like like Willie Perdomo's work allowed me to do. Mm. To walk it backwards to the new Eureka and to walk it backwards, you know, um, to keep walking it backwards to the Harlem Renaissance, you know, <laughs> to keep um, just to making keep on those growing. connections, just keep right. alluding back, right, alluding back so that it, we never forget. Leave those breadcrumbs, you know. And right. So I think that's important, and 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 yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. And so, Roberto, can you share, you know, a couple more um, pieces from your your new collection? Sure. Uh, let me do. I will uh, share this poem. It's on page one hundred four. And it's called uh, Charge That to the Game. Mm. I wonder what happened to the baby. I mean, after the mom slipped her crack vials into the baby's diaper, I never went back. I copped a dime bag and ran to school three, looked for my crew, the night ugly. I sat on bleachers under a street light. No one around. Rain cut silence. Soaked my filly. I couldn't roll the blunt. Damn. Scoped 5-0 circling the park. I ate the weed and walked home. By the end, I was floating. Tried sneaking in, but my sister Kiana posted at the kitchen table. Eating a dime bag of weed hits different. Kiana eyeballed me. I played it cool. Served my rice, black beans, and steak and sat down to eat in the smoothest move since Silk came on the scene. So what's up? She asked. Chillin', I replied and shoved a forkful into my mouth. A short trip since my chin dipped in the plate and by the time I realized, Kiana laughed so hard she had tears in her eyes. I kept going with it. She laughed like a baby when a parent acts funny, so I did it again. My face in the plate as I pushed food into my mouth. She laughed like a baby. I was high as a kite, and she laughed and laughed like a baby. A baby. Mm. Mm. Is that biographical, Roberto? <laughs> you know what? You don't have to tell me. It's fine. <laughs> it's a story. It's a story. And you are a storyteller, yes. In- indeed. Indeed. <laughs> This next one is uh, Elegy in the Key of Life, and it's a bop from my dear friend, Esther Louise. What page is that on? Page 113. Okay. Beloved, 
your absence, bouquet of loss, chrysanthemum and lily flower salver, my grief a beast center stage, you are dead. Beloved, I meant to call, to visit, that's my excuse. I'm spinning a little life, the one you tired of, opted out of on your own terms. I believe I would have changed your mind. Love's in need of love today. Don't delay, send yours in right away. Grief jumps at me, shadow in the ruins of your last words. Just pray for me. You are always a sweetheart to me. I have kneaded and knuckled your words for days. Beloved, I'm stuck in the creases. Night bends and arcs in the world without you. Light yearns to ripple in the form of memory. I am soaked in disbelief, overrun in tears, a fake stoic. Just pray for me. You are always sweet to me. Love's in need of love today. Don't delay. Send yours in right away. Beloved, death has a way of hoarding the grief-stricken sigh, and I used to believe I knew what you might have wanted. I flip through conversations, texts, emails, and voicemails, and I hear it over and over again. Peculiar goodbye, so different from the spelling of your name, from your lowercase preference. Be happy, you would say. Be happy, with an exclamation mark. Love's in need of love today. Don't delay. Send yours in right away. It's beautiful, and I love those references. Thank uh, you. To Stevie Wonder. That's oh. el Elegy and the Key of Life songs and the Key of Life. See, I see what you did there, Roberto. Yes. We got to play, you know, we got to play. You know, you, you brought it in there, the soul and the vibe, all of that. Thank you. Thank um, you. With certainly a wonderful collection, um, Roberto. What Can I Tell You? Selected Poems. And this book is published by Flower Song Press. Um, and do you have a, a connection between your press and this particular press? Uh, our connection is that we're both small presses in the struggle, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, no, beyond that, uh, no. I mean, Edward Vidaure is the publisher and editor there. And, you know, he works tirelessly to put out the best books he can. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, he's doing wonderful work over there. So I cannot recommend uh, Flower Song Press enough, not just for my book, but for the poets they're publishing. And they don't just publish poetry. You know, they publish uh, novels, children's books. Mm. And, you know, they got it all over there. And Wow. Um, yeah, they've been a runner-up for, you know, CLMP's Constellation Award two years in a row. Um, they're just doing wonderful stuff. And, and, you know, just like Get Fresh Books, Flower Song Press could could also use, you know, everyone's support. So definitely check them out. And and Edward is a wonderful poet in his own right. You know, he's been writing poetry for a long time. Wow. He's got a bunch of wonderful books out in the world as well. 
That's so wonderful. I love all these shout outs you've given. This is like straight up, you know what, Roberto, you are a rapper. You're a rapper and a poet because you know what? We all know that rappers, one thing they do is call out, they shout out their people who you with, their crew. Yeah, and you've yeah. shouted out your entire crew, you know, and, and your inspiration and your folks. Um, you really paid homage uh, to some great people during um, this talk. Um, so Thank please you. tell us how we can support you, what's coming next for you um, with this work or with any other new, new work that you have in progress. Definitely. Um, you know, before I, I jump into that, I also want just to, to say one more shout out. One more shout out. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I, I want to shout out all the poets we've published at Get Fresh Books and also the poets whose books are in the queue, you know, in the mm. pipeline. Um, we're really, you know, these are some very talented and amazing poets doing wonderful work out in the world, either as educators or folks working in the community or in administrative roles, um, either at nonprofits or at colleges and universities. And so these are folks who not only, you know, are writing beautiful work, but they're also doing beautiful work. So, you know, gfbpublishing.org, check us out and, and get to know our poets because they're, they're really doing wonderful work in the world. Um, wonderful, so wonderful. And um, so, yeah, in 2024, uh, I have an essay collection coming out with Northwestern University Press titled Traveling Freely. Mm. So it should mm -hmm. be out in the spring of 2024. Keep an eye out for that. Okay. I just, I just uh, won a fellowship uh, grant from the New Jersey State Council of the Arts. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Come Thank on, you. Poet. I'm working. Yeah, <laughs> listen, we're working hard out here. Yes. Um, and it's for uh, a work in progress that I have, you know, mm -hmm. almost, uh, it's, it's a good percentage of the way through and it's a retelling of uh, The Tempest. And, oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And so, you know, I plan to keep it going by giving that, giving that folks that history, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and centering our voices in the tale, you know. So, you know, that I have a couple of, you know, fictional works that are in progress. And so hopefully in a, in a few years, um, you know, we can get together again and talk about, you know, the novel or the essay collection. Sure. Oh, that'd know? be great. Oh, for yeah. sure, Roberto. And, yeah. and so, you know, where can we follow you? Um, first off, well, how can we purchase and support your current collection? What can I tell you? Uh, selected poems. So, you know, it's available uh, via any online realtor, retailer, excuse me. So, mm -hmm. you know, bookshop.org. I know there's folks out there who got their Amazon Prime and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is what it is, I guess. But right. <laughs> you, you get it that way. But, but, you can, yeah. You can go right to Flower Song Press's website uh -huh. and, uh, and order it. But, yeah, you know, you can get it via any online retailer, Barnes & Noble, you know, Target, et cetera. It's available everywhere. Mm -hmm. You can go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it for you. Okay. They can order it and, and get it very easily and quickly as well. That's awesome. And, um, you know, definitely, Roberto, we want to keep up with what you're doing and see, you know, what you're up to real time. So um, where are you at with the socials? You know, are you tweeting? Are you on Facebook? Yeah, are you on <laughs> definitely. Um, so on Twitter, my handle is uh, 
at the spoken mind. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my Instagram account is private, so you know I'm a screen sure. because um, you know we've had some some haters. Oh, who are you know? <laughs> listen, it's, it's they're tough. Trying out to, here. Probably trying to copy you. They're trying to bite because you know yeah. that's what they do out here. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, the Instagram handle is Roberto is off world. Uh huh. And uh, and yeah, I'm on Facebook. If you just look up Roberto Garcia poet, you'll mm-hmm. find my Facebook page. And yeah, usually, and then my website is. RobertoCarlosGarcia.com. Awesome. Amazing. Roberto, it's been a pleasure. Again, you know, you're here because we're celebrating National Poetry Month. The month ain't out. And That's we wanted dope. to, you know, continue with the, with the dope stream of poets. And you are definitely a poet to watch and a poet that we want to continue to keep in touch with. So I wish you all the best. Um, you. with your work and, you know, hopefully and definitely keep in touch. And I, I want to continue to support what you're doing. And you were just listening to episode 50 of Nerdocity Podcast featuring poet Roberto Carlos Garcia. And his latest book is What Can I Tell You? Selected Poems of Roberto Carlos Garcia. Visit his website or follow him on social media to find out more about his poetry and his events. I hope you'll check me out and look up some of my books and events by visiting www.doawafraser.com. Hope you'll follow Nerdocity Podcast on all of the socials, including Twitter at NerdocityPod1, Facebook page Nerdocity Podcast with Duewa, and Instagram Nerdocity Podcast. Check out some of our past and archived episodes here on Apple Podcasts, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Podcast Attic, and so many podcast platforms. Definitely subscribe. And if you're so inclined, you can give a small donation to support future episodes at paypal.me slash doawaworld. And definitely don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash doawaworld. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. <laughs>